everybody for Cryptocurrent. I'm Stephen Miller and you're watching The Aftershock, the show where we bring you the latest and greatest from the world of Web3 every week on Wednesdays. As always, I am joined today by my co-host, Richard Carthon. He's the host of our interview series. Richard, how are you today? What's up, everybody? Doing good. Um, you know, the markets are in this like nice sideways movement, seeing some up and downs. Bitcoin costs somewhere between uh, 18.8 and 20,000 and Ethereum kind of doing this thing between 1200 and 1400. So, not a lot going on. A lot of the macro is starting to have some things that are occurring back into the crypto market, like everything happening with Euro, uh, Europe, and uh, it's dollar. And you're seeing Europeans starting to sell their Euro and get into Bitcoin. So, I mean, the, the macro events that are coming into cause with what's happening in the crypto world is just so interesting. We're at this interesting intersection of why was crypto made in the first place and will it hold true of truly being uh, a hedge against global markets. So we're, we're seeing the live case, real case study right now. So, uh, you know, exciting times in that capacity, but whew, it's a, it's been a journey, man. All right. But how are you doing? I'm doing okay, man. It makes you think back to uh, what Satoshi wrote into the very first um, Bitcoin transaction, right? Banks on the verge of their third collapse or something to that extent. It certainly seems like that we're on the, the cusp of the third, fourth, or fifth, right? This immediate moment. Um, yeah. But I got to tell you, dude, there are an, a bevy of different sound effects that come to mind, right? I mean, for right now, I think that the, the major sound effect on the crypto market is something to the tune of... Oh, nope, not that one. That's the crickets. <laughs> But I digress. If you're new here, I do appreciate you taking the time to come and join our show. We like to make dumb jokes, dad jokes, and all sorts of different fun throughout this show. But our biggest, most important goal is to make sure that you're up to date on what's going on in the world of Web3. And that means catching you up on what happened last week in Web3, as well as last week in the metaverse. So if you are new to the show, make sure you're following over on your favorite podcast platforms, be that Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher, or even Overcast if you're feeling frisky. And then also we do this show over on YouTube as well so that you can see the video version of it and get caught up on everything with just the two of us live in a little video box. But I'm going to jump into this week's version of The Aftershock and I hope you'll join me. Let's dive in. The Aftershock. This week on The Aftershock at the top of the Web3 lightning round, we have good old Alex Mashinsky, the CEO or should I say former CEO of Celsius who's announced that he's officially stepping down as CEO after withdrawing nearly $10 million ahead of its bankruptcy. Um, Richard, what do you have to say about this one? Because um, not a lot of people are happy. Uh, I don't blame them. You, you rugged your own project. You had insider knowledge enacted on it. And man, you, you, you filed for bankruptcy and basically all these people who thought their money was secure and they can't get it out they're stuck and now they just lost whatever they got. But you're really just going to take out pretty much all your money and be like, well, I know, so I'm going to at least pull my stuff out. Man, that's freaking terrible. Yeah, this is not an example of you know, how you protect your neck. This is an example of how you screw over a bunch of investors and people who trusted you. So I would tell you this immediately. Um, 
I think Celsius, despite their uh, reorg right now, is probably somewhere in the territory of going to zero. Um, and it's an unfortunate thing because a lot of people are getting hurt by this. Um, if you were affected by it, please let us know how you're dealing with it in the comments. If you plan on you know, potentially pursuing legal action, I'm sure there are going to be at least a few class action lawsuits over this one. But let's go ahead and forge ahead into our next story in the Web3 Lightning Round, and that is coming from MetaMask. Now, MetaMask is right now the top uh, Web3 wallet as it relates to the Ethereum blockchain on the web. And they have officially moved out a new Twitter account dedicated to developers who are building on MetaMask. Now, this is a really interesting one to me, Rich, because I think that it's something that does not get a lot of play. There are a ton of developers out there that are constantly developing on this platform and trying to improve upon it in an open source way. We think of MetaMask right now as something that is owned by a company called Consensus. That's because the main protocol is owned by Consensus. There's going to be a lot of development done on top of MetaMask and almost treating it like an API. So I'm pretty interested to see what happens from this. I know there are a couple of different email solutions that are being rolled out on top of it, um, as well as a couple of different security and privacy, privacy solutions being rolled out, one of which just got announced today called Blowfish. So I'm interested to see how this thing develops. But what do you make of it? Is this their way of saying there is a bigger play behind MetaMask? Definitely. I, and what's interesting about this whole story, which I think is just so synergistic. If you talk to anybody in Web3, or if you talk to anybody in crypto, guess what's going to happen? Two things they're going to definitely have. MetaMask and Twitter. Just, just inevitable, right? So it's really interesting that they are you know, working to improve that experience and build even more essential tools on top of it to keep building that synergistic bond that they have. But I mean, this, this news made a ton of sense to me and I'm excited to see what comes out of it. It makes a ton of sense. So to me, I'm looking forward to seeing what other developments come across the next couple of months because as we know, bear markets are where the builders thrive. So I'm excited to see what gets developed into MetaMask in the near future. But as we go into our next story, we're going to talk a little bit about MasterCard. MasterCard, we know, has been one of the preeminent leaders in the credit card world transitioning into Web3. And they're not just about making you know standard moves into Web3. No, they're deciding to make what I would consider quite the degen play. They've announced they're powering their very first debit card uh, using personalized NFTs and, and things of that nature using a holder's NFT bag. So if you own a board ape, and you get your hands on this new MasterCard that's being powered by a company called Hi, um, you're going to be able to use your NFTs to personalize the look and feel of your card. So I'm interested to see how this one plays out, but what do you think of it? I think it's cool. Um, you know, there's not too many people that really flash their card like that until it's time to pay for something. But you want to talk about a flex on top of a flex. It's like, oh, you're out with your crypto buddies and all of a sudden like, oh, don't worry, guys, I got the tab. And then boom, you've like drop your like NFT card like... I mean, it, it it tracks for the type of person who would who would probably want to utilize that. But like you know, all the same, man. I think it's cool. Um, I'll probably get one uh, if 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 it makes sense. But uh, yeah, I I I think this is going to be really really um, utilized by the Web three community. I mean, can you really see yourself out at like a steak dinner with all your big time crypto friends, and all of a sudden they're like, oh no, like I got the tab. No, I got the tab, and they're all just whipping out their Moonbird, their board ape, their cool fat <laughs> card. 
and just being like, oh, wait a sec. No, we've got the board ape at the table. He'll take care of this one. Like, that's right. To me, that's the funniest like use case of this. We can make so many different <laughs> like little viral videos about that. So I've I have a feeling that we're gonna see some really funny like sketch comedy pieces come out about that in the future. But who knows? Time will tell. Um, let's yeah. jump into our next story because I think that this one's probably the bigger of the stories in Web3 across the last week. And that's that Chainlink has announced a partnership with Swift. Now, Richard, are you familiar with Swift and what they do? Yeah, so Swift works with pretty much all the banks and international banks with uh, processing the transactions um, and making everything happen very quickly. Swiftly, as the kids would say. Yeah, this is one of the primary Web2 and um, banking payment rails, right? This is what predates all of you know the Web3 payment innovations. And what's fascinating to me is that Swift is finally making a move and an adjustment forward. Now, Swift had had a like unwritten partnership with Chainlink for data feeds for a little bit now, but this is what's going to effectively allow for Web2 and Web3 to start becoming interoperable, right? Because you're going to need those data flows from 3 to inform networks on 2, which is interesting. But you've also got Ripple, who has an yeah. interesting partnership with Swift. So there's going to be a lot more that comes out about this, I feel, across the next like couple of weeks and months. But I'm not sure we rule Swift out yet. I know that the value proposition behind Ripple is supposed to replace it. And the creation of Bitcoin should be replacing a lot of payment rails, and especially with the Lightning Network. But I've got a feeling that, some, that something is going to be coming as a massive upgrade to Swift in the near future. Um, are we missing something more about this story, Rich, or should we be heading, heading on from here? Now, just to wrap up, as you brought up Ripple, if Ripple wins this case and they come back out and now the, the woodwork's coming out. Swift has to figure out how they can innovate and keep it going. So like, I think this is a step in the right direction to stay competitive. So um, yeah, I think I'll just leave it at that. Time will tell indeed. In our final story in the Web3 Lightning Round this week, we are going to talk about one of the world's most famous women. But no, not for a reason that is hysterical. We're going to talk about um, her issues with the SEC. So Kim Kardashian has officially settled a lawsuit with the SEC over a social endorsement for a token called Ethermax. Now, you may recall a couple of weeks back, we talked about this, how a number of different influencers and big-time celebrities were targeted by the SEC for shilling this token. Now, the reason that this was such a big deal is because they all got compensated about $250,000 just for doing one post about Ethermax. The SEC brought this suit because they believe that Ethermax is a security. No surprise. That's what the SEC does. But Kim Kardashian is saying that effectively, she is not going to just assume that she was wrong or that um, the charges are accurate or deny anything. She's just going to pay the um, penalty and call it a day because there's no sense in fighting it. So she's throwing in the towel there and settling her suit by paying $1.26 million to the SEC over that endorsement. Um, and I think that every other celebrity that was involved in this one probably will follow suit. Do you think that Ethermax was a security or that this is, I guess, necessary for celebrities? More than anything on this, I think it's just an accountability for celebrities endorsing things that they don't know a whole lot about and therefore encouraging fans to ape 
to just buy something without really looking into it too deep just because they have the influence to do so and to try to make an example of it. Uh, but to get to your point, is it security? Probably not. If they really wanted to fight it, they could probably win. But I don't know. She has plenty of other things to do. What's 1.26 million to someone that's a billionaire? It's pocket change. She's just going to go about her day and not think about it. Yep. I completely agree with you. Um, the interesting thing about this, if you have not had the opportunity, wait until we get to the end of this show to go check it out. But the SEC has decided to take on a TBS and like kids television angle to this and is now starting to roll Gary Gensler out in front of cameras to try and make viral videos about, you know, what it looks like for people to be able to tell like the difference between like an influencer shilling a coin and doing so without, you know, adhering to the Financial Disclosures Act and all this other stuff. And it's the most childish thing I've ever seen. And it just looks so bad. So it's worth going and checking out that video. But they're they're taking the most BS animation angle on showing the world why the SEC should control all of crypto. It makes me laugh. I think it's ridiculous. But I'll leave it there. Let's jump into last week in the metaverse. At the top of last week in the metaverse, we have a massive massive CryptoPunk sale last week. Um, CryptoPunk number 2924, which is an original ape in a hoodie, sold for, you guessed it, 3,300 Ethereum. That is the equivalent of $4.45 million at the time. Um, And uniquely in this specific case, this was a wallet that made this purchase that bought all of that Ethereum at roughly $100 per ETH. So think about the appreciation in terms of their investment across time and how they decided to roll all of that into one of the top tier in like terms of rarity, but also most popular CryptoPunks of all time. Richard, do you think that this is just the tip of the iceberg when you see more purchases in crypto in CryptoPunks across the bear market? Or is this like an anomaly? No, there's going to be more. I mean, think about it. You just called out the fact that the person that owned this ETH owned it since $100. So they've already made some money. And clearly, if they're willing to see that kind of call ahead of time, then they have some insights that they're probably going to be able to flip this at a pretty good profit as well. So, I mean, even if at 100 bucks and Ethereum at this time is worth roughly 1300 that's a nice 13x in X amount of years. So, even if this thing, you know, five, 10 years from now can sell for $40 million, that's another 10x. So, again, just goes to show there's value in some of these NFTs, man, and, and the it doesn't blow me away that this much money was spent on an NFT. It goes to show how much someone thought this was a deal. This, this owner thought this was an absolute steal and they went, and went after it and they got it. So it goes to show where they think this is headed. And look, I think that there's going to be a lot that comes from this, not necessarily because of the purchase, but more so because you have a really interesting set of developments coming out later today. Um, and that is, of course, because we're recording this episode on Monday of the week you're, you're releasing this. Um, we're going to talk more about that story in a little bit. Um, but that is going to be our final story that we wrap up the show with today. Um, so let's go ahead to the next story and we'll leave that little nugget there for you. So stick around. It'll be an interesting one. Next story in the metaverse this past week is that OpenSea has announced a partnership with Warner Music Group to allow artists to directly drop music NFTs to the platform. Um, This is a really big deal, but I don't think that we're going to see the impact of it for a couple of years. Um, This is a really tricky one to me because 
Spotify announced a big NFT integration earlier on in the year. And their entire premise was allowing artists to do direct drop NFTs and NFT flexes and NFT advertising on platform for the artists that are using it. This is their this is Warner Music Group's way of saying to their artists, hey, whenever you drop a new album, we can directly drop NFTs via the OpenSea platform. It's a pretty big integration. It does make some amount of sense, but it absolutely flies in the face of what Web3 and NFTs are meant to be. It's about taking the middleman out. This is the middleman re-injecting themselves. So what do you think of the current story and where it's headed for the space? It's just like you said, it's so Spotify right now is the place where you get your streams, you get your money, X, Y, Z. And they're like, hey, here's this place where you can also drop your NFTs. And guess what? We're going to get a cut of that too. So OpenSea said, whoa, 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 whoa. You can come directly to us. We'll probably take less of a a cut of your NFT, but we'll do all the work to help you, you know, drop this thing. So it's it's integrating back to that Web 2.0 space. I call it the 2.5. It's where you're not completely Web 2. You're not completely like Web 3. You're in that 2.5 where they're... You have these companies who are in the Web3 space that are trying to hold on to that old Web2 model and still be the middleman. So it's, I, I, I think it's interesting, the approach. And like, like you said, I don't know that they're initially going to make a, a good bit of money from this, but I feel with time and enough drops and people making money, this you know, might be the route that they go. It's going gonna, it's gonna to play out in an interesting way. There's very little doubt about that. Um, But let's jump ahead to Apple. Apple has made the announcement this past week that they will be allowing NFT purchases, reneging on a claim that they said earlier on this year, um, and allowing it via its applications. But they will be applying a hefty 30% commission to all purchases. Dude, this is big. Like, it's a very big deal, not just on the side of like mass adoption, but like a 30% 30% commission on all Ew. NFT-related purchases. That's insane. OpenCV is 2.5%. That's still ew. Yeah. A lot of people don't like that percent. But I do think that this is going to still be a really unique onboarding pathway for a lot of people that love mobile games. And there's going to be a lot of mobile game application for NFTs. The question really becomes... How quickly does that adoption come? Do you have any thoughts on that? This is absolutely going to be driven towards people who are not in Web3 right now. So my gut says you're not going to get adoption from people who are in the Web3 space already because they're like, why in the world would I ever give someone 30%? But you know, there's another side of me that's like, well... Yeah, I'll give up 30%, but I also have this massive audience I originally can reach out to. So if I reach out to them faster and I get more people, yes, I have a smaller percentage of a pie, but the pie is massive and I made up the difference. And then after I get that audience there, I can basically then do all my drops back on OpenSea if I don't want that 30% commission away from me anymore. Then you drive your audience over there. So thinking this fully through, I think that initially people who get into this will play nice with Apple, say, sure, this is okay. But then as they try, as their brand gets bigger and as they try to get more uh, people, once they know that they exist, they start doing their drops in other places like OpenSea. That's my call. I think it's a good call call and a good way to look at it. But let's jump into our next story. This one 
comes from Wally World, or should I say, Wally Land. Walmart Land is officially open in the Roblox metaverse. Um, I knew that this was coming for a while in terms of you know Walmart making its jump into met- metaverse activities. I just wasn't sure it was going to happen via Roblox. So it's interesting to see how centralized metaverses are making their play and how they're partnering with other big brands. I think that's probably going to be the easiest way for onboarding to happen between different large existing brands out in the corporate world. But I do think that Walmart will make a play into decentralized metaverses as well because they are smart about this. They are being a first mover. You don't see Target in Roblox, right? It's Walmart. They're the first mover. They want the advantage. That means they're going to take that advantage across the board for sure. Um, What do you think about this one? And do you find yourself heading out to the Wally world near you in Roblox sometime soon? They have to connect with the next wave of people and users. And you have to connect with them where they are. But a lot of that is in, in metaverses like Roblox. And so I think it's really smart that they are plugging away and starting to you know put their, their footprint there uh, because you want to be a trusted brand as this continues to evolve. Like, yes, even though you're going to be in this metaverse world, you're still going to have to go out in the real world and, and get stuff. And if the brand you trust in that metaverse world is Walmart... It's a really easy sell once you get back again into the sort of real products side. So I, I think this is really smart on Walmart side. And I don't know that you're going to see other brands that try to compete with Walmart trying to do something similar um, anytime soon. Maybe after they see how this all works out and pans out for Walmart, but like I don't see this like catching fire and then now all of a sudden, oh, Whole Foods just bought a, a piece of land and Target's now going. I, I, don't, I don't think it's going to be like that. Yeah, it's going to be interesting seeing the way that more brands onboard into it. Um, I don't know if all of them are going to be land buyers. And from what I can tell about Web3 metaverses, it's not like you're going to need to own land to participate. So there may be, you know, I hate to call it this, but like NPCs or non-playable characters that are brand representatives within the metaverse at some point or another and using that as like advertising space as opposed to buying land in particular. So I don't know. We'll see. Time will tell. But I think this is a really great start for one of the largest retail brands in the world. Now, for our second to last story, we've got probably the brand of your childhood. Um, A lot of kids grew up loving Build-A-Bear Workshop, and they've made the big announcement that they're going to be bridging into Web3 as well by, by launching an NFT collection. Now, from the way that I understand this, it could work one of two ways, or it could work both ways. You could very easily see every single bear that is created at Build-A-Bear Workshop from, call it 2023 forward, each receiving a digital replica on the blockchain where you could have an NFT replica of your bear, or it could just be special editions that are all being licensed as NFTs that you can then go claim in store. A lot of potential for this, but it really is, to me, a leading indicator of the next evolution of physical meeting digital goods. We've seen a ton of talk about this across the space. Some people have branded it digital. I hate the term, but that's not going to change the fact that it's going to happen, right? So talk to me about your read on this story and how you see this influencing the space of physical goods entering the metaverse. I think it's great. I mean, growing up... uh... You either go to a mall or you go to outlet mall and you do a build a bear, whether it's for a child, whether it's for uh, a significant other, 
whomever had gone through the process of, you know, picking out the bear, jumping up and down to make the heartbeat, all all the stuff. And so how do you continue to make that brand strong and and get more people to get involved with this? And and people are starting to look places like uh, NFTs and, and having collections like that. So I think it's cool that you can have your, you know, your, your virtual bear and then be able to go in store and get one of these rare collections because there are collectors of the, of the build a bear community as well. So I love just how many brands who had really good runs and they're trying to like reposition and like recapture new audience, how they're looking towards NFTs to help get that new flair, to get that new spark uh, of, of, of new things to, to, to get people coming back to their brand. So I think this is a, a cool way for build a bear to approach this. Yeah. I I'm really, really bullish about this story, dude, because I, I think that if you want to talk about the best possible way to bring kids into the metaverse and get them really familiar with what, what NFTs are in concept, this is going to be one of the premier gateways for it. I think Disney will become the premier gateway, but this is going to be a really, really accessible one. And I can't wait to see what happens from it. It could be really, really interesting over time. Let's dive into our final story for this week. And that is harkening back to a friend of ours that had been on our show in the past in the interviews. And that is Truth Labs, headed by Alex Taub and his team. They have opened a dedicated marketplace for its collections. Now, there's been a lot of conversation about this because they're not the first collection to open their own proprietary marketplace. Is this the beginning of a trend in your opinion? Yes, they make more money. Like if you're saying the only place you can go get this NFT is in the marketplace that we created, again, going back to the web 2.5 situation, right? It, if this is the only place you can really get it and, and, and build on all this stuff, then like, you are the middleman. So, uh, yeah, I think that you're going to start, especially if the brand's big enough and they really have a big enough following to where fans are willing to make that extra step, that extra hurdle to, you know, not necessarily conveniently go to this place where you can get everything. You have to specifically go to this one marketplace to get one specific type of NFT. Again, you got to have a really strong brand and conversation to to get people to buy into that but like you as the in brand you make more money so i i, I get it yeah it's going to be really interesting to see what comes of this because i think that they're going to be viewed as one of the people that is leading the way here when it comes to um proprietary marketplaces most collections from what i hear are starting to make a move in this type of direction and it's going to be something that not just pulls volume away from the primary exchanges, but it'll give people more incentive to stay part of a community. I think that's what Truth is intending for here. Now, the bigger story that we do not have in the, in the walkthrough today in terms of what happened last week in the metaverse has to do with Truth. And this is a really, really big deal. And we can call this for um, all intents and purposes, our breaking news of the day. Truth Labs and the Illuminati DAO have officially rolled out what is being referred to as Crypto Face, or what they were referring to in, in private as Operation Prepunks. They managed to, as a DAO, dig up a historical NFT 
that predates the pre the CryptoPunks and is officially going to be minted using a brand new contract that pulls back to that original contract and will mint out a 10K collection from it. So they're going to be using the original hash, fully respecting the actual on-chain artifact, and generating avatars in a completely unique and novel format that was created in March of 2017, three to four months before CryptoPunks even hit the market. So this project did not originally roll out as intended because it was a test bed and it was a project that was, um, I guess, not properly marketed at the time, but it was rolled out during a code camp that Ethereum was co-hosting. So they dug this thing back up. They managed to help get the code up to snuff and made it so that it could be applied on the 721 um, current ERC standard. And it looks really, really interesting. Now, it is not a traditional avatar generator. Instead, it is an identity creator. It directly references in the code avatars stored on the blockchain, but it gives you creative authority and composability over what that avatar looks like. So honest to God, I think this is going to be a huge trend and it's going to piss a lot of people off because you were talking about trying to debate an avatar project predating punks, right? So it's going to yeah. be really interesting to see what comes of this. But you're talking about the same project that just launched a marketplace and they're clearly paving a way to become one of the leading teams in the NFT space. Now, based on that breaking news, what is your read on the story? How do you think it's going to be received? I think it's really cool. And also like, man, good investigative work to even find that, right? Like, how does one even figure that out? And then... To see that it was never fully minted and they're then going to mint on top of a pre-existing contract. Like it's just, it's a good story. And I think people in the NFT communities and and what people are buying into are the stories and communities around it. And it, like you said, because they're also trying to start their own marketplace, this is a great place to to launch that particular collection. So uh Truth Labs out here, they're 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 thinking deep. They are they they are. They are pulling some really, really cool stuff out. And they're, I think they're uh, a brand to keep keep an eye out. Because, I mean, even what they did with Goblin Town and everything else, like they, they have been truly delivering on some really cool stuff. I think without a doubt, too, like they're doing some really out there stuff, right? They're not doing what is, what is normal or what has been set as industry standard by any stretch of the imagination. Um, you saw what they did at NFT NYC. They put on this massive spectacle. It was unlike any other event that we had gone to. But on top of that, you have the idea of adding value back to the people who have been holders and that have been part of the community. So if you would like to go and claim your very own crypto face, which is part of this collection, all you have to do is be an Illuminati holder. Okay. So every single Illuminati holder will get to go and mint one of their own crypto faces. And then you that will account for 8,123 of this 10K collection. They're then going to have 187 for the 187, which is another truth property. And on top of that, you will then have a certain amount raffled to goblin holders. So it's an interesting value add back to the goblin community. From there, there are going to be about 850 of these crypto faces that are going to be left for the public. So the public has an opportunity to enter a pre-mint raffle where they could have a shot at getting into this mint. 
Um, it's a really interesting thing. It's free to claim if you own an Illuminati piece. Um, I will be claiming mine later today. But I'm really, really excited about this. I think it's going to be one of the most talked about projects across the rest of this year. And as I said, it's going to rub a lot of people the wrong way. You can, you can absolutely take that to the bank. Any final thoughts on this project, Rich? Thanks for putting on everybody's radar. I know it's something that uh, it's, it's going to be worth checking out and seeing how it plays out because it could be a model that's reused by some other uh, players out there. So uh, I, I know I'm going to be seeing how this all unfolds and, and it, it sounds like an, an interesting time to see this type of model be played out, especially during this bearish times. No question. It's going to keep things fresh. And that's what we're going to do here every single week at Cryptocurrent. So if you at home enjoyed this episode, do us a favor, make sure that you drop a like, a review, or a comment wherever you're viewing the show, whether that's on YouTube or your podcast platform of choice. What I will ask is that you can check out our last interview that we had on the show on Monday. Richard, who did you have a chance to sit down with this week? So this week, I had a really interesting conversation with Andrew Beal on detecting real-time systematic threats of Web3 with Forda. So there's been a lot of hacks that have happened in um, all across crypto. Um, I think over you know billions of dollars uh, of people getting scammed out. A lot of it has come through hacks. So a lot of these systems don't have things in place, uh, like in traditional Web2 companies, where if, if something is happening, you have two things. One, you need to be monitoring if there's a potential threat. And then once the threat happens, then what are the steps that you do to uh, immobilize the threat and then solve it? And so what they've done is basically create this way that you can now put this within uh, your particular blockchain or, or look at certain things. It's, it's really cool uh, for those who are super into security and uh, making sure that your uh, blockchain company remains safe. This is one I, I recommend checking out. No doubt. And look, if you at home are interested in joining us for a bigger event where we're sitting down with some of the top experts in the Austin crypto community, please put it on your radar that we are right now in the home stretch towards the very first ever AgmiCon. That is Austin's going to make it. It is October 28th in downtown Austin held at Speakeasy. We've got a great lineup of guest speakers and panelists that we think that you are going to absolutely love to hear from um, over at Speakeasy. So please put that on your calendar. Make sure that you grab a ticket. We'll make sure that we have a link in the show notes of this episode. You can also get your tickets over at AgmiCon. That is A-G-M-I-C-O-N.com. And we hope to see you there. It's going to be a great time. Um, but until next time, guys, we hope you have a fantastic rest of week and that you stay cryptocurrent. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cryptocurrent. Cryptocurrent is a cryptocurrency and blockchain education platform that's bridging the gap between the curious newcomers who are just discovering the space and the thought leaders who are shaping its future. All opinions expressed by Richard Carthon, the Cryptocurrent team, and their guests on this show are exclusively their own opinions. This show and any other Cryptocurrent production is exclusively for informational purposes. 